Well, please turn, if you would, in your copy of God's Holy Word to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. And uh, this morning, uh, as I've already mentioned, we are not going to be in our Psalm of the Month, but uh, as our sister Nicole will be baptized shortly and received into church membership to prepare for an understanding of what we do in Christian baptism, our sermon will concern the person and work of the Holy Spirit as he is poured out. He shows forth the the benefits of Jesus Christ to wash us of all our sin. He also shows us that we enter into the visible church in our baptism. And so I'm not going to exposit this entire text. I'm going to begin in verse 14, read to the end of the chapter. I won't exposit all of it, but I will uh, use it as an explanation of these things that we will consider uh, in the the sermon. So Acts chapter 2. Now, this is the day of Pentecost, and you remember that the, the, the apostles started speaking in tongues, uh, speaking to each of these nations in their own tongue, and uh, some began to mock them in verse 13, saying, these men are full of new wine. And now in verse 14, we pick up our reading, and Peter stands up and delivers the first and great sermon of the Christian church. And this is a, a wonderful thing to, dis, uh, to hear. These are the words of God. Let us receive them as such. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned unto darkness, and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins according to the flesh... He would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, 
that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth or poured this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Amen. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Let's pray. O holy God, how we thank you, Father, for the gift, the gift of the Holy Ghost. We thank you for this gracious gift who is God himself. We thank you for him. And we pray now in the preaching of the word, oh, that dependence that the minister must have on the Holy Ghost to preach the words of life. We pray that the minister would preach in his power, that the spirit would be pleased to use this man as a vessel. We pray that you would uh, cause this man to diminish then, and that the spirit of the Lord would cause Jesus Christ to increase while he decreases. And we pray the same for the congregation, that every member here would decrease, that as the Holy Ghost lifts up Christ in this assembly. And so we pray, Father, that you would let my speech and my preaching Be not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that the faith of the congregation should not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And we ask this for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen. Well, were it not for the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ would be a stranger to us. We could never know him. We could never have him. He would only be words on the page of a Bible to us. He could never be real to us, though of course he is real, as he is at God's right hand. Without the Holy Spirit, right, you could never say things like this, having not seen him, meaning Jesus, yet I believe in him, yet I love him, yet I rejoice with joy in unspeakable and full of glory. 1 Peter 1.8. Who is it 
that enables you to say such things, to have such things in the heart? Who is it that enables you to love a Savior unseen to your eye? It is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. The sight of God only comes when the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of our understanding to behold Jesus Christ. And without Him, not only would we have no sight of Christ, we would have none of Christ's work to save sinners. How can you be, think about this, how can you be washed with that fountain of blood? How could you be washed of your sin and uncleanness that poured out of the side of the Savior at Calvary? Zechariah 13.1 How could you ever have fruition of that? Can you apply the blood of Christ to yourself? No, you cannot. Who can do it? Only the Holy Spirit can take the precious blood of Christ and wash your unclean soul. Burkhoff put it so well, and I've always been taken by this. He put the work of the Holy Spirit in a way I think, boys and girls, you yourselves can quickly, readily grasp for yourself. He said that the Holy Spirit takes all things out of Christ and gives them to us. That is his work. He takes all things out of Christ and he comes to bless us. Water baptism, as we will see it shortly, is a sign and seal of this. That when the Spirit is poured, and I hope you heard that over and over again in Acts chapter 2, that when the Spirit is poured upon us, He applies to us the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanseth us from all sin. 1 John 1.7 That is a promise that is found right in the covenant of grace. And baptism functions as a sign and seal to show the reality of that truth. The reality of that truth, and you'll see that the, the work of, of baptism that God does in baptism is inseparable from the work of the Holy Spirit. That as real as the waters are that are about to be poured on the head of our sister, so real is it to us, the great cleansing of our uncleanness through the Holy Spirit. And that's what we have to see in the waters of baptism. As real as that water is to our sister, so is her salvation in Christ. So is the blood of Christ to her. And how the Lord condescends to our weaknesses, friends. He knows the weaknesses of our faith. What does He call us? O ye of little faith. And what does He do? He condescends and He gives a sacrament such as this one to show us the reality of the Word of God that we creatures may understand. And you must take hold, beloved, of this picture we're about to see by faith with understanding and love for God as you see what He does. Otherwise, And this is what baptism is to too many. It is a mere ritual. But it is useless to us unless faith in what it portends is apprehended by your soul. Now find in the waters of baptism then a portrayal of the Holy Spirit of God sent to us, poured out upon us to give us Christ and his benefits. Well, with that to set our theme, our theme is simply the pouring out of the Holy Spirit the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, our great hope. And we'll consider that theme under three heads. First is to consider the Spirit's conviction. Second, the Spirit's pouring. And third, the Spirit's bond. First, the Spirit's conviction. Let's consider the context of the book of Acts real briefly and see the Spirit's place in this book. It's often called, and it might be as it is in in my Bible anyhow, uh, this is not inspired, this title, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. And it's called this because at, at, at Christ's ascension, 
in power to his throne, his ministry continued. As we've been looking at it in Luke's gospel, his ministry continues and it expands and it explodes by the working of the apostles in church history. But perhaps, I think the, the problem with calling it the Acts of the Apostles is it actually, it actually misses who the actual efficient agent is, who the effectual agent is in this book. And it's not the apostles. It is the Holy Spirit. Really, this ought to be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit instead. For you find in this book that the Father and the Son send the Spirit to give power to the church. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, before Jesus ascends, he said, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. In fact, he said, don't do anything till this happens. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Don't do a thing until the Holy Spirit comes And you see here in chapter 2, Jesus sends the Spirit as he promised on the day of Pentecost. In the opening of the book, Luke documents this brilliantly, right? In the first chapter, what do you find? Jesus Christ ascending into the heavens. And in the second chapter, what do you find? The Holy Spirit then is poured down out of the heavens. Acts 2, 2 through 4. You can see it in your text here. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. It's this wonderful picture, isn't it? The Son of God ascends, and the Holy Spirit descends, showing that God is ever-present with His church. Never is there a time without God. In verse 17, Peter explained Pentecost as this fulfillment of the prophecy given to Joel. And what's that prophecy? He says, here's the language. I will pour out, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Note that pouring language. It's going to be key. You're going to see it all throughout the scripture. This is the language God often uses to describe the spirits coming. This pouring out. And the Greek under that has the sense of kind of a lavish pouring out of fluid. And that's what you're about to see here in the baptism, this pouring out of the waters of baptism. Now, the Holy Spirit is no fluid, of course. He is pure spirit. But that imagery is very helpful for us as we understand his washing and application of Christ's work. What we see here is, as the day of Pentecost had come, is that whenever the Spirit is poured out upon a soul, as we come into our first heading, we find the conviction of sin. You think of it. He is called what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. When he is poured out upon a soul, he convicts that soul that they are unholy. That they are unholy and God is holy. And we are sinners and we are unclean in his eyes. In John 16, when Jesus said, right, this is his promise, I am going to ascend to the Father, but I will send the Spirit to you. He said this in John 16, starting verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. And here it is, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, what will he do? He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. When the Holy Ghost comes, 
He reproves us of our sin, beloved. He shows our need of righteousness. He convicts us. And in the heart we say, we see the sinfulness of our heart, our condition, and we say for the first time, unclean, unclean. I am unclean before a holy God. And what else does he do? He opens our eyes to the judgment we are liable to before God for it. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out. Does this not line up with our text? In verse 23, Peter preaches hot against the people's sin. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. He's saying you are a wicked generation. You are wicked. And he reproves them of their sin. Peter then preaches, and we can't go through it all, but how glorious the sermon. He preaches on the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. And then in verse 33 he says, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, this is the exaltation of Christ, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed, that's that same Greek word actually for being poured out, the Holy Ghost that he had shed forth this which ye now see and hear. Then in verse 35, he preaches on Psalm 110.1, that all of Jesus' enemies would be his footstool. What is he saying? That... Those people out there, now those are his enemies. No, he's saying you are his enemy. And you will be made his footstool, lest you turn to the Lord. In other words, he preaches judgment, doesn't he? He preaches judgment to come. All of Jesus' enemies would be his footstool. And he says, judgment is coming for you because of your wicked hands and works. His sermon hits its climax in the 36th verse when he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Oh, and friend, if you've ever been convicted of your sin, you see not that those particular men alone at that time crucified Christ. You say, I have crucified Christ because it was my sin that put the Savior on the cross. And I see my wickedness in my sin. And I see that the Savior was condemned by God because of me. And what happened to you if you are of the Holy Spirit? In verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Their heart is pricked. But who did it? Was it Peter who pricked them? No, it was the Holy Spirit, God come to convict them. Yes, Peter preached a fine and mighty sermon. But 1 Corinthians 2 verse 3 shows us what made it effectual was that it was in demonstration of the Spirit and in power. If you have ever fallen into conviction of sin in our services, I bless God the Holy Spirit for it. It's not me, friend. It was Him. I, like Peter, I'm just a human vessel for the work of God. And so friends, I have to ask before we go any further, have you fallen under conviction of sin? Have you seen its heinousness? You know, Pentecost was not the end, and we'll see this, of the work of the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin. It just marked a heightened new era of it as the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the nations in power. And it's not just those men at Pentecost who are sinners. The Bible says all have sinned. You, me, everyone. Everyone here. Everyone here has sinned. But when the Holy Ghost, right, 
And this is the difference between so much preaching today and, and what Peter does here at Pentecost, right? So many men today will just sort of preach, all men, all men are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. But friends, you have to be reproved yourself. I am a sinner, and I have fallen short of the glory of God. You need to take that yourself. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. To say, I have come short of the glory of God. (sighs) My heart is pricked. I am a sinner. I have done this evil deed. You know, in Luke 18, so helpful for us, right? Under such conviction, what did the tax collector cry? God have mercy on who? Me. Me, a sinner. See, the application of the word of God is personal and it must be. And who is standing right next to him? A Pharisee who said, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. Do you see that? He has this general idea that other men are sinners. But the tax collector, convicted by the Holy Spirit, says, I am a sinner. And I come short of the glory of God. You see, there is a religious kind of man or woman without the Spirit of God who is unable to see that they are a sinner. They don't have the Spirit of the Lord. You know, religion without the Holy Spirit does not convict of sin. And it does not save you. When we interviewed our sister who is about to be baptized, she recognized that she is a sinner who needs the grace of God. And we bless God for that. You know, the world will tell you what a shameful thing it is to say you're a sinner. But we bless God because that is the work of God, the Holy Spirit. Bless the Lord if you've fallen under the conviction of sin. Have you fallen under it? I'll ask again. Each of us has to answer the question. If you've not fallen under the conviction of sin, see that God is holy. He is holy. You and I are not. We are wicked just like this generation here. And what does God say? There is no peace for the wicked, saith the Lord. Only judgment. You must fall under that conviction. But when the Holy Spirit is poured out, we bless God for this. He not only convicts you of sin and the judgment to come, but he sends you to Jesus. He sends you to Jesus. In John 15, 36, Jesus said, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. He not only reproves you of sin and righteousness and judgment, but he sends you to Jesus Christ. He testifies of Jesus. He says, yes, you are a sinner, but here, see Christ, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He reproves you of your sin, yes, but he also shows you there is one who is the cure to sin. He says, you have no righteousness of your own. Here is one who has made righteousness from God to you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 And we thank the Lord that the Holy Spirit sends us to the Lamb of God to remedy our sin, our lack of righteousness, and telling us what about judgment, right? What does he testify of Jesus? He tells us that Jesus Christ was judged in the place of sinners who would believe on him. And so that judgment that we are convicted of has fallen on the head of Christ. See it reflected in our text. When the Spirit moved the people to cry out, what shall we do? What did Peter say in verse 38? Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the remission of sin. And ye shall receive, 
We'll come to this later. The gift of the Holy Ghost. The gift of the Holy Ghost testifies that in the name of Jesus Christ, there is a full and free pardon from all of our sins. All the sins that the Holy Spirit convicted us of, uh, we find the remedy in Jesus Christ. What a gift it is to have the Holy Spirit. And if you understood these things, you would see what happens to a sinner when the Holy Ghost blesses the preached word. Verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Once again, have we not meditated on this in Luke's gospel? That the gospel is glad tidings of great joy. Those of us who have been convicted by this Holy Spirit and have been sent to Jesus, this is good news. This is the gospel. This is glad tidings of great joy to us. Yes, the Holy Spirit wounded our hearts over sin. We weep that our sins have crucified Christ. But the Holy Spirit also sends us to the love of God and Jesus Christ to forgive sinners who believe. I am convicted but also made glad when I receive Christ by faith. And because it is the Holy Spirit who testifies out of the Word of God that this is the testimony of God, I believe it and I receive it with gladness. What do you find of the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, in Romans 5, verse 5, as we see the hope of the gospel. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed. There's that word poured. Poured abroad in our hearts by who? The Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. There's that gifting language again. And he is given unto us. The love of God poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so in baptism, as, the, as you see the waters poured out on the head of our sister, you see a picture of the love of God poured out upon us. This great gift of salvation, this gift of the Spirit, it is held forth to you in the preached word, even now. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You think of the benediction, right? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost who brings all of that to you, brings the the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what did Peter exhort here? Save yourselves from this untoward generation. In verse 40, I exhort you the same thing, friend. He preached this wonderful news. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 21, this is the work of God. I preach to you the same glorious promise here. We are different men, separated by almost 2,000 years. But this word is the same. And the power is the same. Because the Holy Spirit never changes. So receive Christ by faith. Repent of your sin and be saved. And if you have been saved, what ought you do? Have you forgotten how you rejoiced the day you were saved? How it was glad tidings of great joy. You need to rejoice because your salvation, and we forget it so quickly, is the work of God the triune God, and he has poured the love of God for you, the sinner, deep into your heart, and have you forgotten it? And have you lost it? No wonder we heard this last afternoon, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the comforter. And let me say, as you considered the works of the Holy Spirit, just for our time especially, when certain churches tell you that they are spirit-filled churches, yet there is no reproving of sin, there is no... Uh, lack of righteousness, seeing our lack of righteousness, there's no judgment, there's no preaching of the cross, there is no Spirit of God. They are not Spirit-filled. 
They are devoid of the Spirit. A church filled with the Spirit is convicted of its sinfulness. It is filled with their ever-present need for the love of God and Jesus Christ, their Savior. That is a Spirit-filled church. And that, I pray, is what this church would be. There is another Spirit at work in churches that spout gibberish, that is unintelligible, and roll on the floor like dogs. And that is not the Holy Spirit. That is not a Holy Spirit. Well, I'll leave that there for you for our time as you see the work of the Spirit. Let's look next at how the Holy Spirit's pouring out is pictured in baptism, or second heading. Well, over and over again, I pray you have heard that the sending and work of the Spirit is shown by pouring, as though a liquid is being poured out upon us. And when our sister is baptized, the mode we will use this morning is pouring, the pouring of water upon the head. And that seems unusual, and I have to address it because we are in very much a Baptist part of the country. That seems unusual to those who would say that baptism is by immersion only. And our Baptist brethren would would tell us, and they're right about this when it comes to the plain meaning of a word, that the Greek word baptizo means simply to immerse, to immerse. So they tell us that a person that is being baptized must be immersed under the waters. Uh, But friends, I've mentioned this to you before, we do theology through the whole counsel of God by the Scripture and not through dictionaries. Scripture shows us that the pouring of water pictures the pouring of the Holy Ghost to wash away our sin and to show us the regeneration and renewing of our hearts. Many formulations of baptism, I won't treat that here, they rightly point out the link of baptism to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And sometimes even they will say then, in our picture of baptism, as you go under the waters, right, they say it's like Jesus being buried and then being raised again from the dead on the third day. Now, some of this is like we think about psalm singing and hymns, right? Part of this is, some of these things are anachronistic. Jesus was never buried six feet under the dirt. He was placed in a tomb um, at the level of men. And so what is missed in water baptism, and what I want to focus on here particularly, is the work of the Holy Spirit to wash us and regenerate us. You see, whenever the Lord speaks about being born again, he shows us an inseparable link between water and the Spirit, doesn't he? And then there is this link between water baptism signifying spiritual realities. Let me let Scripture establish that for you. In Mark 1.8, John the Baptist says of Jesus, I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. See, water and the Holy Ghost. What is signified in the water finds its reality in the Holy Ghost. Jesus repeats this in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, the previous chapter before Pentecost. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Again, Jesus and John shows us water signifies spiritual baptism of the Holy Ghost as the Holy Ghost is poured out upon us. This is a tangible picture then of the Holy Spirit's work. Remember, you can't see the Holy Spirit. Jesus explained this to us in John chapter 3. You cannot see him. You cannot perceive him by your eyes. He said, John 3, 5 through 8, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, 
and whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You can't see, I trust you can't see, that a person is born again. You, you can't see into their soul, can you? And you can't see the Spirit's work, the Lord Jesus Christ says. His, his work is like the wind. In fact, that's where uh, the um, derivation of his name is. It's based on wind, essentially, breath. And so we find here that we have this picture of baptism to show us, right, the Spirit's work. Just as we don't see the blood of Jesus Christ in the broken body, but next Lord's Day, we will see a representation of it in the sacrament so that we might apprehend it for ourselves. And so the Spirit's work of conversion, making you born again, is represented, signified, and sealed in water baptism. The water does not save us, but as a sacrament, it signifies a spiritual reality and it seals it. Let's tie that together. Uh, consider Titus 3, 5 through 6. Listen to this. This is perhaps one of the best verses that you might go to to understand these things. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing, see that language, of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us. That Greek word again is poured out abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. First, let's revel in this truth. Never forget it. It is not by works of our righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy that he has saved us. Our baptism, our sister's baptism, signifies that it is all of the mercy of God and not of our works. But then we hear in Titus 3, the washing of regeneration, making us born again, and it comes by the renewing of the Holy Ghost, just as Jesus said in John chapter 3. A washing that comes when the Holy Ghost is said to be poured out upon us. And the pouring of water in baptism signifies that we are born again. How we need this washing, friends. I don't know if you know your need for it. I was reading again. It was just providentially this morning in my morning devotions this morning when I woke up. It was 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And you think of yourself, friends, if you understood who you are, you say, I, I, I must not deceive myself. I have no right to the kingdom of God because I am unrighteous and I am wicked. But then I am made glad in the very next verse, aren't I? And such were some of you. But ye are what? Washed. Ye are sanctified. Ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by what? The Spirit of our God. This is what we are about to behold, friends. The reality signified for us outwardly in this sign that shows that whatever sins our sister has committed and whatever sins we who have faith in the Lord have committed, all of that is washed away. All of that is washed away by the application of the blood of Jesus Christ. And how we need that reminder, friends, as we look on the waters of baptism, no matter how unclean we are, you know, sometimes there are people who struggle with certain sins and it's like they want to take a shower. They just can't get the uncleanness out of them. And what they have to look at if they are in Christ is to remember uh, what baptism portends, that just as the waters of baptism have flown down from the head and washed the body, so is my soul utterly cleaned from all my uncleanness. Holy Ghost washing. How we need it. 
taking the blood of Jesus, that the Bible says can cleanse us from all our sin. Hold on to that. You're going to need it. This imagery of the Spirit being poured out in baptism is seen in so many ancient pictures of baptism paintings. The one being baptized stands in a body of water, and the minister pours water upon the head. Now, as you think on that imagery and the pouring out of the Spirit, consider Jesus' own baptism. Boys and girls, you might remember it. And will you hear the pouring of the Holy Ghost, Luke 3, 21 to 22? And when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened and Mark's gospel torn apart and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, thou art my beloved son in thee. I am well pleased. The Holy Ghost see is poured out. It's descending upon him. There's that picture again. And John very likely poured water upon the Savior's head to to match that spiritual reality of the Holy Ghost being poured out. And yet there is, actually, I was telling the elders this, one very explicit mention of baptism by pouring in the Bible. And really, I think it's the only place where you might actually say we know for certain how the baptism was performed. If you turn to 1 Corinthians 10 in your copy of God's Word, I want you to see this if you'd like to turn there. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 for you. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 4, and we find baptism here. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And the reason I want to end there is because this is the work of Christ throughout this. You you can miss that, and you think, well, in the old days, it wasn't Christ at work. No, Christ was at work there. Well, you see here that they were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And boys and girls, you might know that this is the Red Sea crossing, isn't it? When the waters were parted by God, And so we know that this baptism is not by immersion, right? The Egyptians were immersed, and they were the ones who were swept away in the judgment of God. But our fathers passed through the divided sea, the scripture says, under the cloud. Now hold on to that. Our fathers were under the cloud and were baptized unto Moses. But where did the waters then of baptism come from? If it's not from the sea, where did the water come from where they were baptized? Well, that's where you can turn back to Psalm 77, if you would. Psalm 77. Now this we sang, and we also had part, a portion of this as our call to worship. Look at verse 16, and I will read up to verse uh, 17. Psalm 77, verse 16 and 17. The waters saw thee, O God. The waters saw thee and were afraid. The depths also were troubled. So this is the Red Sea. The waters saw God and were afraid. And listen to the first part of verse 17. The clouds poured out water. So you can imagine now the Red Sea crossing. The waters have been divided. God is in the cloud. And the people of God walk through that dry that dry land now as the waters are to the sides. And what happens? From the clouds comes poured out water upon them. And this is what baptism unto Moses is signified at. You see, the, in 1 Corinthians 10, we heard that our fathers were under the cloud baptized unto Moses. Psalm 77 says, the clouds poured out water. What a wonderful picture there is here then. Baptized unto Moses, the Holy Ghost in the cloud. It was God in the cloud, wasn't it? The Holy Ghost in the cloud pouring out water upon Israel. 
That's the picture of baptism in the Bible. Paul did not use a lexicon as our Baptist brothers do. He used the word of God to show that baptism unto Moses was not by immersion, but by pouring, and Christ was there. If you have faith and are baptized, what I want you to do is take hold of that imagery when you see a baptism. That I, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, death I deserve for my sin, the Lord has poured out the cleansing and washing of regeneration upon me and has moved, removed away from me the waters of judgment. And instead, I am able to walk as the people of God did to the promised land, to heaven, with God above me, protecting me. And I can walk to heaven confident, knowing I am washed of all my sin. And as heaven is a holy place and God is holy, I am cleansed to the uttermost of all my sin. And as our sister is baptized, see the water then poured out on her as a sign and seal of regeneration and washing. Again, a representation that all her sins are washed away by the precious blood of Jesus. If you believe, as the waters flow down her head, say, as real as that water is flowing down her body, so is the washing of the uncleanness of my heart, a pure gift from God given by the gifting of the Holy Ghost. Her baptism is a sign and seal of the promise in Acts 2.38, ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I want to come back to what I started a while ago. If you see the Holy Ghost that way, a gift. A gift, what? To convict you of your sin. A gift to apply the blood of Christ to your troubled conscience. A gift to mortify your sin, something impossible for your flesh. A gift to enable you to walk in newness of life and righteousness. A gift to bring the love and comfort from God. A gift that testifies that we are the children of God, isn't it? A gift to take all that is in Christ, as Burkhoff said, and to give it to us. What a gift he is. And you think of this as you think of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, right? They are the, the same in substance. They are the same, right? They have the same will. They have the same heart. They have the same mind. All is the same. And so you see then the nature of God in the giving of the Holy Spirit, that he is a giver. He gives of himself. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's their nature, givers. The Father gives His Son to us. The Son gives His life for us. The Spirit is given by Father and Son to give Christ to us sinners, to give us God Himself. Praise the Lord for the gift of the Holy Ghost and His giving nature. When you see the water poured on the head, that is why she will be baptized in the name of our triune God. God for her. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. And sister... As you are baptized, remember having begun in the Spirit, you continue in the Spirit as well. Galatians 3, 1 through 3. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? When we see a baptism, all believers say this, I began in the Spirit, and I will endure in the Spirit as well. Don't be fools. The Bible says don't be a fool. You began in the Spirit of the Lord, and you are perfected by the Spirit of the Lord. You live in dependence on the Spirit's work, friend. You are perfected by the Spirit. You pray then, right? to the, In the Spirit, you pray to the Lord for help. You use the means blessed by the Spirit, the Word of God, prayer, and the sacraments, and you do so diligently. 
depending on God. You don't read your Bible saying, well, I myself will simply understand something about God. No, you say to the the Lord, give me the Spirit who inspired the very text and speak to me. Do a work in me by it. Spend time with those who are indwelt with the Spirit as well, that you might be with them. And as you are lacking in whatever graces, right, you, you remember that even the fruit uh, that you are to have in your soul is called what? The fruit of the Holy Spirit, fruit of the Holy Ghost. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Where are you going to get those? The Spirit of the Lord. Only he can give them to you. And if you find, and I find in myself, right, I, I often look on that list in Galatians 5 and I say, where is my love? Where is my joy? Where is my peace? Am I long-suffering? And so on. And I say, I, I am so deficient in this. Will I get it just by trying a little harder myself? No. I must plead with God for it. If you don't depend upon the Spirit by faith and use his means consistently daily with patience, you will run your race in vain. And when he has been poured out upon you, believer, we praise God for this. He has come to dwell with you forever. But also remember what the use of that knowledge is according to the Scripture. 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20 Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore what? Glorify God with your body and in your spirit, which are whose? God's. The Holy Spirit, right? He has set you apart, believer. He has set you apart for God. And what has he done? He has applied that terrible price that Jesus Christ has paid. You are bought with a price. What is that price? It's the price of the death of the Son of God. That is how you are bought. And the Holy Spirit testifies that to you if you are his. And what are you to do? What is the only, in fact, reasonable thing to do? Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Jesus Christ has purchased you with his blood. You are his. You do not live for yourself. Live for the Lord. Live a life separated for God. And what do we praise God for, right? Like, sometimes we think, okay, I will, I will try a little harder. There's a sense where that might be right if you are doing it in the Spirit. It is not on you, though, to live the Christian life. It is the gift of the Holy Ghost, right? Even when mortification is called for. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the who, the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Romans 8.13 He has given you a new heart. He has given you a new spirit. He has given you himself, and you are to depend on him by faith to do these things and plead for his strength. You can look at Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. I don't have time this morning, but you see that promise of sprinkling clean water on you, giving you a new heart. And then he says, I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. That is true religion. And that is the promise of the spirit. Well, with that, let's briefly consider our last head, which is the spirit's bond. Well, our sister is not only being baptized, she is coming into church membership for the first time. And there is a connection between baptism and church membership. This is a neglected doctrine, but the sacrament is for admission into the visible church. Now, it's not for joining a particular church. 
right? You don't be baptized every time you go to a new church, but it's for being a, a member of the universal church. It's a sign that I am part of the universal church, and that's the Spirit's work as well, and the reason that all Christians must be baptized. In 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, we read, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. So there's a spiritual reality there, right, that we are baptized into one body, the body of Christ, but it is signified by the water baptism. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Again, you see the link between the Holy Spirit and baptism to make us one body. And that's why in verse 47 in Acts chapter 2, after the people believed on the Lord and were baptized, we read, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. They believe, they are baptized, and they are added to the church. And when our sister is baptized, rejoice over this tangible symbol of entrance into Christ's body. And what does Acts 2 show this to look like? And it's such a thing that cheers the heart, and sometimes we think, no, this is the apostolic age, and things were so different. Well, they were in a certain sense when it came to the special gifts of the Spirit, but not when it comes to these things. Verses 44 through 47. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. This is the society of believers. Whose work is it? Is it the work of some very charismatic men? At this time, no, it is the work of God, the Holy Spirit, who has worked in their hearts to take these wicked sinners and make them one society, brothers and sisters of God Most High, children of God Most High. This is the society of love that is the church. Summarize the phrases like all that believed were together, giving to each other as they had need, with one accord breaking bread from house to house, and especially singleness of heart. All leading to what? Praising God together. Praising God together. That's why we are here together as this community of believers, the society of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church of the living God. We praise God together because of his spirit that is poured out upon us. Because the bond that we have is shown in the scripture in Ephesians 4.3, where we are told, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. This baptism you're about to see shows us that we must endeavor to keep that unity. Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You know, this is not our preparatory sermon for the Lord's Supper that will be tonight, but we might as well consider that right now. If there are breaches in the body here, we must have them resolved before the Lord's Supper. And our hope is this. God the Spirit that dwells in each of us, can do it. He can do it. As you prepare for the table next week, then seek the Spirit, not your flesh, to consider the breaches in your heart with brothers and sisters and ask him to help you heal it. And it says, endeavor. That means go. You know, so often it's easy to just say, well, I'll just put it aside. But here you have to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. He gives you the power, he gives you the blessing, but you must go and do it. If you go to a brother or sister trusting in the Spirit's work, he will bless it. Well, with this word, 
I trust you can now see what the pouring out of water in baptism signifies. Boys and girls, watch this baptism for yourself and think, right? And I believe most of you, not all, but most of you have been baptized at a young age. And all that is signified in the water of baptism can be yours by faith. Yours by faith if you ask for it. We all often, often pray that what is signified in your baptism, boys and girls, will come to pass. And your baptism is a means. It's a means of grace. We don't have time to touch on that. It's a means that the Lord can use to bring you to faith. In verse 39, why were you baptized? In verse 39, your parents believed what God said, that the promise is to you and to your children. All the promises that are signified in baptism, they believe, apply to you. The washing away of sin by being born again is something that your parents, boys and girls, believe God will give you by trusting in his promises. They had you baptized by faith in that promise. Believe that promise for yourself, children, and take this gift of the Holy Ghost for yourself. Well, believer, keep in mind what you're about to witness. Remember it on the day when your soul needs a reminder of God's work. Say, I remember that baptism, that it signifies that though God's enemies, though Christ's enemies will be swept away as in the Red Sea, I have the washing away of water from the Spirit above, and I will cross over to heaven, that all of my sins have been washed away, And we praise the Lord then for the gift of the Holy Ghost who journeys with us until we reach the land of promise and see Christ with our own eyes. Amen. Please rise for prayer if able. Our Father and our God, we confess to you, O God, that we seldom, we seldom meditate on the glorious gift of the Holy Ghost. We often think that we are being perfected by our own arm, and we utterly ignore the Spirit of the Lord. You say the Spirit of the Lord even lusts after the flesh, and he is our great help in this time. So help us, Father, give glory to you for giving us this great gift. Help us to ever be uh, attuned to his work to convict us of sin, our need for Christ, and the judgment that fell on the Lord Jesus Christ for sinners who would believe on him. And if any here do not yet believe, Father, we pray that through the preaching of the word, as it was 2,000 years ago, that the Spirit of God would convict sinners of their need of Christ and the washing of regeneration that the Spirit of the Lord alone can deliver to us. Uh, We bless you and praise you, our great triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, for all that you are to us, a God of love. We ask that you would bless these things in Jesus' name. Amen.